Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's September 29th. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from the return of the Nisga Nation totem pole, to a Better Way Alliance roundtable, to a land defense rally, to Minister Marcy Ian's recent announcement. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. First up, the memorial totem pole belonging to members of the Nisga Nation is being returned. The 11-meter totem pole was on display in a Scottish museum for almost a full century. The house pole was erected in the 1860s and tells the story of the Tswawit warrior who was next in line to be chief before he was killed in combat with a neighboring nation. It was taken by colonial ethnographer Marius Barbeau without the nation's permission back in 1929, reports CBC News. According to a statement released by the Nisga, the totem pole was taken from the house of Nishul when the Nisga peoples were away from their villages for their annual hunting, fishing, and harvesting season. Its return is being celebrated with a ceremony and feast for almost a thousand people in Nass Valley, British Columbia. The totem pole will now formally reside in the Nisga Museum, CBC reports. The negotiations for the rematriation of the pole took a whole year, during which a Nisga delegation traveled to Scotland and, later, the Museum Board of Trustees approved the plan. Initially, the pole was to be transported by ship, but due to the fear of damage, it began its journey back in the belly of a Canadian military aircraft in August, reports CBC. Canada Post has launched four new stamps to honor the survivors of residential schools ahead of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation tomorrow. On the stamps are archival photographs from four different residential schools. The schools include Kamloops Residential School in Kamloops, BC, Ilha La Crosse Residential School in Ilha La Crosse, Saskatchewan, Sept-Île Residential School in Sept-Île, Quebec, and Grolier Hall in Inuvik, Northwest Territories. The stamps were first announced at the Woodland Cultural Centre in Brantford, Ontario, CBC reports. The centre was established in 1972 after the closure of the Mohawk Institute Residential School. Canada Post said in a press release that the stamps are a reminder of the, quote, fear, loneliness, pain and shame endured by Indigenous children within the residential school institutions. They added, the stamp issue serves as a vehicle for truth about Canada's residential school system to help support the process of reconciliation and, ultimately, healing. Canadian Immigration Minister Mark Miller said in an interview with CBC News that he is hoping to make it easier for Indigenous people to cross international borders. He said Canada should recognize Indigenous people have an inherent right to move freely across international boundaries that have divided their homelands and families for generations. Miller added, It'll take time, but it is one of my top priorities. CBC reports a senior government source said the government is considering a ministerial directive as well as an amendment to the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act. The amendment would essentially exempt Indigenous people from immigration requirements. Another government source told CBC the federal government is hoping to present the solution by next year. CBC spoke to Deer, whose traditional Mohawk name is Atsenyenten, 
He said he identifies as Haudenosaunee, not Canadian. Deer is from the Kahnawake Mohawk Territory, just south of Montreal, and his people are part of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. CBC reports the U.S.-Canada border divides their homeland, which includes part of Quebec, Ontario, and the New York State. Deer explained to CBC that it is often easier to get into the U.S. than to return to Canada because he has to explain his rights and provide supplemental documents to Canadian border agents. Others, like Nathan Obed, who is president of the Inuit Tapadit Kanatami, said Inuit peoples have been calling on Ottawa to work on this for decades. The Inuit homeland of Inuit Nunat stretches across the Arctic and is divided by the borders of Canada, Danish Autonomous Territory of Greenland, the U.S., and Russia, CBC reports. He said, up until this date, the Canadian government has not been serious about it. And Obed added, I'm just glad that the Minister Miller is now open to addressing this issue. Miller said it is clear the U.S. is ahead of Canada in terms of Indigenous rights surrounding borders. The U.S. recognizes the historical clauses of the Jay Treaty, which states that Native Americans may travel freely across international boundaries, and Indigenous peoples in Canada are entitled to enter the U.S. and freely work, study, retire, invest, and immigrate. The treaty was signed by the U.K. and the U.S. back in 1794, prior to Confederation, reports CBC. Canada, however, does not recognize those rights. Miller said he does not have any intention to recognize the Jay Treaty because of an inherently racist part of the rule that requires people to be at least 50% Indigenous. Miller said, we need to recognize something a little more fundamental than the Jay Treaty. He added, we have to first start by doing our job under it, which is to recognize Indigenous people's rights to move freely across borders. U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein has died following a months-long battle with declining health. Her three decades in the Senate made her the longest-serving female U.S. Senator in history, reports CTV News. Feinstein's death gives California Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom the power to appoint a lawmaker to serve the rest of her term. CTV reports that in March 2021, Newsom had already said he had a list of, quote, multiple possible replacements. He said he planned to appoint a black woman if Feinstein were to retire. Feinstein was first elected to the Senate in 1992 after serving as San Francisco mayor. Feinstein was well known for her role in the Senate Intelligence and Judiciary Committees, the Federal Assault Weapons Ban in 1994, which has since ceased to exist, and the 2014 CIA torture report. Her health has been a subject of scrutiny in the past years, especially after she was hospitalized for shingles back in February and became absent from work. CTV reports after her return to Capitol Hill, it was announced that she had suffered complications such as Ramsey-Hunt syndrome and encephalitis during her recovery. She was also questioned on her mental sharpness and ability to lead, to which she responded with, The real question is whether I'm still an effective representative for 40 million Californians, and the record shows that I am. But she announced to CNN in February that she would not be rerunning for re-election. Feinstein was 90 years old. Meanwhile, the Better Way Alliance hosted Canada's first commercial rent roundtable this week. The event is set to bring business owners from across Canada together monthly. 
The focus will be on the sky-high expenses that come with commercial leasing. I spoke with Better Way Alliance Director Aaron Binder about what the alliance actually is. So the Better Way Alliance is a group of business owners from across Canada, predominantly in Ontario, that all advocate for better employment standards. Uh, we use these techniques in our own businesses, things like higher wages, uh, paid sick days, fair scheduling practices, um, and we've a lot of our businesses have adopted these practices because A, they're better for our workers, they're better for our businesses, economic success, and they're better overall for the Canadian economy. Uh, the other thing we're working on right now is our commercial rent.ca campaign, and that's a commercial rent reform campaign. One of the biggest issues that business owners run into is that they have absolutely zero protections when they enter into a lease agreement with a landlord. So there's a hugely unfair playing field there. And basically the, the premise is that you wouldn't expect your, your coffee shop owner to know about a triple net lease or uh, what goes into a 70 page lease agreement. So we need to provide them some protection so that they can do what they do best and that's run their business without having to worry about major rent increases or um, with the landlord or having to understand a lease that's 70 pages long. He also described what the roundtable will look like and when it will be hosted. We co-hosted an event with three Toronto NDP MPPs at the beginning of September. That was Chris Glover, the MPP for Spadina Fort York, Kristen Wong Tan, the MPP for Toronto Centre, and Jessica Bell, who's the MPP for a University Rosedale, I believe. And we had a huge turnout from a lot of business owners. It was basically an event um, to start the discussion on what could be possible in the future when it comes to commercial rent reform. Because businesses across Toronto, Ontario, and Canada are all feeling this grudge. Um, rent across the GTA between 2021 and 2022 went up an average of almost 20%. So when you consider that's the average, we heard from some businesses that have had rent go up 300%. Um, others have seen two or three or four or five percent increases, but that's a huge average. Like, if you think of that in terms of like what you're paying per month, could you afford an 18% rent increase from one month to the next for the space that you live in? So, for businesses that are locally owned and operated, this represented for some of them uh, an increase that just was untenable. Some have shut down, um, others are struggling, so we wanted to provide them with a monthly ongoing meeting where they could share their uh, trials, um, gain support from peers and fellow community members in the business community, and start working toward actionable solutions um, at the legislative table um, that we can pitch to the Ontario government uh, that could become legislation in the future. They are every last Monday of the month. So this past month it was the 25th and in, uh, I guess we were just in September. Going into October, it's going to be October 30th. So the last Monday of every month from 6 to 7 p.m. is when we host the Commercial Rent Roundtable for business owners. And Binder described the commercial rent reform campaign that Better Way Alliance is working on. Our commercial rent 
reform campaign is we're designing it in a way that will benefit Main Street. We want to see the economic success of Main Street because this is where most small businesses live. Um, most brick and mortar small businesses live are little towns, small cities, downtown Toronto. When you walk down these streets, these are the places that people want to live because they've got a locally owned coffee shop, they've got maybe a flower shop, a butcher, they've got all the necessities of life. Unfortunately, it's become more and more difficult for business owners to acquire commercial mortgages to buy their properties. So rent reform is one way that we can level that playing field and ensure that local businesses stay local and open. Um, we understand that there are a lot of interest rate increases that landlords are going through right now and that a raise in rent prices to a certain degree is going to be normal. What we're really advocating against are these massive rent increases. We're not against landlords. We're just against unfair business practices that lead to the destruction of local communities. So we want to make sure that whatever rent increase is coming, that it's fair, that it makes sense for the community and the business owner, and that we're not left with um, decayed and destitute streets with massive vacancy signs up all over the place, like you see in some neighborhoods across Toronto. We want to make sure that whatever rent reform we do benefits both business owner, landlord, and the community that they operate in. But most importantly, he added what he hopes small business owners will get out of the roundtable. Well, one of the things we've noticed that business owners are telling us is they feel isolated when a big rent increase comes down. They feel like they don't really have anybody to turn to because it's a situation that happens often, but it happens in isolation. Um, so we wanted to make sure that there was a space for these business owners to come and understand that there is a support network for them out there. And we're also hoping to provide them with potential tools for their next steps, uh, whether that's hiring a lawyer, whether that is um, going to the media to tell their story, or just telling it through social media, or simply just gaining that support and understanding. Because going through this is a huge mental and emotional um, time for these business owners. So even just having somebody else there that they can go to and say, hey, I'm going through this, this big, big issue with my business. I'm not sure if I can continue with it. Um, having somebody else there to be able to say, I've gone through this, here's what I did, maybe it will help you, goes a really long way. Um, a lot of people forget sometimes that business owners are humans as well. We've got feelings, we've got emotions, most of us at least. Um, so when something tumultuous like this happens, it's nice to have a support network that you can turn to and learn from and then take action with. This week, the Free Grassy team held a Land Alliance march at Queen's Park. The event started on Wednesday at 12 p.m. at Grange Park near OCAD University and then made its way to Queen's Park. According to the event's webpage, the march hoped to call on, quote, Premier Ford to end unwanted mining activity on our territories. Five Indigenous nations joined the march where speeches from Chief Rudy Turtle, Cecilia Begg, and more took place. The Free Grassy website states, quote, 
These five strong First Nations have formed a historic alliance to protect our lands and waters in the face of mounting concerns about encroachment on our territories by mining exploration companies who have been enabled by the Ford government. Head counselor with Kitchenu Mekuseb in Nunuag, Cecilia Begg, spoke at the event. And I know that we need to stand together to put a stop to this and also to create more awareness, more, more dialogue. We need to speak with the government. And we tried that, and you saw the result yesterday. We didn't get to meet with uh, Doug Ford. Yeah, and it was so, it was uh, so discouraging. Yeah, but of course, at this, um, at this day and time, I guess we, we ought to know what to expect from them. They can only come so, so far and then they withdraw. And of course, since they're, they're, uh, they are still taking steps on encroaching our lands and raking our, our lands, the land, the very lands that we love and live off of, the very lands that our ancestors walked, where we were raised to appreciate to appreciate what what are our God-given rights. The land, the water, the air, the many resources that are bountiful in our land, and also the peace and quiet, that we, we still live in harmony with the animals there, with nature, so peaceful. And those we still want to hold on to and keep for our young ones, for generations to come. But it don't mean a lot of talking, a lot of rallies, a lot of um, gatherings like this, where we get our youth to be involved, to start learning and to start participating in events like this. It is, it's going to be their work after, after we're done with doing our part. There'll be others, of course, the work has to be ongoing. Never, never get discouraged. Even when all things fail, we will continue to stand strong and be courageous to take up the fight that was started so many years ago by our elders. Chief Chris Munias of Neskantiga First Nation spoke about his nation and their needs. Talk about a little bit about my community, where we come from. Those are my youth and uh, my... Uh, my uh, council member, he's also uh, a youth. So uh, we come down here and uh, the oldest person, probably about 70, and uh, the youngest person is uh, one year and one day old that came down here. She just had her birthday yesterday. So I'm a very proud uh, great-grandfather. <laughs> so those are the people that I fight for. Those are the people I, uh, I represent. It's the young people that were here. The youth, we have about 40 community members that are here, and uh, half of them, more than half of them, are uh, youth or high school students. I come down here to deliver a message to uh, Doug Ford and his corrupt government that there will be no ring of fire without our free, prior, informed consent.
other thing too is they promised us prosperity. They always promise us prosperity. They promise us those things, money, jobs. But look at the other communities that allow mining in their territory. They're still under boil water advisory. They're still living in poverty. I don't see them prosper. That's why we just don't want to let anybody ravage our lands, destroy our lands, destroy our rivers. We want, we have one of the, we have one of the healthiest population of sturgeon in Northern Ontario on Ottawa-Muscat River. And we need to protect that. And that's where the Ford government wants to build a road. They want to destroy that river. They want to fast track the environmental process, assessment process. They don't want this kind of guy involved. My community today is under a 28-year boil water advisory, the longest in Canada. We are still under a state of emergency for suicide crisis since 2013, which hasn't been addressed from any government. We still have our young people, our people dying on the streets because there's no housing in the, in the First Nation. We are about 120 homes behind. This is not reconciliation. This is not reconciliation. Duck Ford's divisive government. They continue to pro to do a uh, divide and conquer to uh, to our uh, First Nations. They continue to uh, do their uh, oppressive uh, government. They continue to shut us up, try to shut us up. They can. They don't want to talk to us. We invited them yesterday to talk, to have, to sit down and talk to us, but he didn't come. That's a shame. Then he lied. He lied yesterday before I came down here. That he said he's very uh, accessible. He returns calls. He's a liar. He didn't never even done that. He never even came. We can't even access him. Yes, Doug Ford is a liar. Doug Ford, do you hear me? <laughs> Where's Doug Ford? 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 Doug Ford, resign! Deputy Chief Stanley Anderson of Wapakika First Nation spoke about the history of the fight with the mining companies. And in my area, it's like 841 miles north from here. We still drink from our waters. We still enjoy our lands. 
and we will continue enjoying what we love. And we've been fighting with the mining companies for decades already. We've continued saying no, and we will continue to say no. Because our future with the young ones are more important than money itself. And I'd like to acknowledge everybody that's here. Everybody. Come. Come. March with us. Let's fight this battle instead of destroying Mother Earth. Let's protect it. And Chief Rudy Turtle of Grassy Narrows First Nation spoke about Grassy Narrows' battle with oil spills. So I want to start off by uh, talking about um, Grassy Narrows. For 50 years, we have been poisoned by mercury. Our river system was, uh, the, there's a drive and paper mill. Paper mill. It's, uh, it's uh, ahead of, uh, the river is ahead of Grassy Narrows. They dumped uh, 10,000 tons of mercury and that mercury has been flowing down river ever since. For 50 years, we've been asking the government to compensate us properly. For 50 years, we've been asking them to help us, but they, they haven't. There's been some progress, but it's been very slow, very slow in coming, and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So Grassy and Arrows has been fighting, has been fighting for a long time. And we're still fighting. That's why we are here this morning. Because we are here to say no to mining. And we want to we wanna make it clear. We made it clear yesterday with our friends from the other First Nations. We made it clear, a clear message to Doug Ford and to his government. We don't want mining in our territories. It's a very simple message, very simple. How hard can it be for someone to understand? No means no. All videos are courtesy of Alan Listener, sent to us by Free Grassy. Saturday, September 30th, is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, also known as Orange Shirt Day. It is important to, on this day and every other day, reflect on the colonialism that has taken place and has affected and continues to affect Indigenous peoples. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. This episode was put together by myself. 
Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.